Hey everyone, welcome to the Labors of Love podcast. For today's episode, we're going back to one of our favorites from season one. Check it out. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. This is just a reminder that everything on the podcast is intended to be informational, educational, and entertaining. This is no way a substitute for therapy or the therapeutic process. If you find yourself in need of more direct support, please reach out for professional help Or if you find yourself in crisis, please visit your local emergency room or call 911. Hey everyone, it's LaShonda from Labors of Love and you're listening to the Labors of Love podcast. Today, I am doing a very special friend cast episode, and I'm happy to have with me my good friend, now realtor, Eric Schultz. Hey, Eric. Hello, hello. Thank you so much for the invite. I uh, thank you for accepting the invite. I'm really excited to have this conversation with you. So um, Eric is a really good friend. I was thinking we've been friends for about, what, 13 years is my calculation, I started at St. Joe's in 2007. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, right around that time. All right. And uh, yeah, I'm really excited for us to kind of talk about the evolution of our relationship. And because we had lost contact doesn't necessarily seem like the right term. We just got busy with life. Right. And so there were several years where we weren't really, hadn't really talked to each other and things. And we've now reconnected. because you're doing real, real reality. Is that how, is that how you say it? You I can't say moment. it that way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm in real estate. I'm doing real estate. Yes, there it is. Ooh, that was a that was a real moment. I was like, what is that word? Well, anyway, so we did connect because I remember you putting out on Facebook that you know you were looking to connect with different people doing different things in right. your journey. And I'm like, Hey, somebody buying a house, they might need some therapy, right? Cause I hear it's a stressful process. So Absolutely. we kind of reconnected then, but uh, I am extremely excited to share that we are actually building a house and you are helping us through that process. So thank you. Absolutely. It's my absolute pleasure. And it's exciting. I'm excited to, like you said, not, I guess, rekindle our relationship, but to kind of catch back up where we left off and kind of see this different part of the journey now. I know. And so I feel like starting here in the present really doesn't do justice to, well, not just our relationship, but definitely my story. So I was hoping today we talk a little bit about our origins and uh, (laughs) the many, many things we've been through together and, (laughs) and, and bring it up to parent up to the present. So, um, why don't you start us? Do you remember where we met? Oh gosh, um, do we? Met? I mean, we had. I assume we met at St. Joe's. I mean, that would be <laughs> my <laughs> first guess. But did we meet somewhere before that? No, we didn't. We met. I was going to say. I thought you were like throwing a curveball at me. Um, no, and I, I love this because just in talking to you the other day and, and kind of going back to where we started, I forgot so many of the things that we've. Or just, you know, I'd put on the back burner so many of the things that we kind of experienced together, kind of grew up. I mean, I was 20, what do we say, 22, 23 when I started at St. Joe's. Mm-hmm. So looking at that now, I felt like, I mean, I was such a baby. Um, and it was such a, an important part and time in my life, I think, that I didn't really realize back then. But to kind of go back and touch on some of these experiences, the things that we, you know, gone through, what I saw you go through. Um, as you were in a little bit different part of your life than I was, um, it's kind of crazy to reflect on. It is super crazy to reflect on. You're right. And I do have this pretty detailed, uh, long lasting memory <laughs> that, that I can recall often details and things that people forget. Um, and, you know, so I am a little older than you. Um, and so I was probably maybe, oh, I don't remember. Well, I guess I can do math. Maybe about 25 or 26. So yeah. not that much older. Yeah, but not, not too much older yeah, than me. You're but, just, we were just in different places. Yeah. So for example, I was married. 
right? Um, and things like that. So that there, those were some differences. Um, and when I started, one of my <laughs> favorite things to talk about when I went to St. Joe's is how before that, so straight out of college, um, I so I went to the University of Michigan, and I distinctly remember hearing numerous times from numerous people, like you get this degree from here and you can write your own check. Like I, that's not <laughs> even my language. Like I, right. I wouldn't have made that up. You can right. write your own check. And now I'm like calling BS on that. Right. right? Cause, right. <laughs> cause no matter where I got it from that bachelor degree, what, you know what I mean though, from a very great institution, didn't write no checks. Right. So, yeah. you know, I don't even know that I conceptualized what I wanted to do. What I realized maybe a while ago, but it's become more and more clear to me every single day is that I was literally walking through all four years of my college experience in a traumatic haze. Like yeah. I, I am, I am like positive that I was dissociated most of the time. And it sounds crazy because, you know, I, I was academically successful, if you will. Um, but man, I, for me to have the memory that I have, there are huge chunks of gaps missing from my college years. And I do think that is just because I was dissociated most of the time. Yeah. Um, and so by the time I finished, I, you know, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And um, I was, I left and came to Ohio um, to be with my ex um, who at the time who we, who I would get married to a couple of years after being here. But interestingly, I went into restaurant management, not because I wanted to be a restaurant manager at all, not because I knew anything about restaurant management, but it was a job and, and it played surprisingly well. Um, and so I did that, but after being there for three years, I was like, I realized that I cared more about the people Mm-hmm. who worked for me than I did about the bottom line. And that was definitely a conflict of uh, interest um, with it. And so when I decided to leave, I said, I wanted to go back. My my majors, uh, I am a general studies, I have a bachelor's of general studies and my concentrations were psychology and theater. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, I'm going to get back in the field. And I didn't even know what that meant, but <laughs> there was a recruiter <laughs> from St. Joe's. Oh, this gosh. was literally his pitch. No lie. He said, Hey, this is so-and-so <laughs> from St. Joseph orphanage. I got a job working with teenage sex offenders starts at eight fifty an hour. Are you interested? <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> Why not? Now, eight, eight, can you, do you hear what I'm saying to you? $8.50 an hour. So despite the fact that that was a huge pay cut, like <laughs> I, I would end my career in community mental health, just making what I had made when I left restaurant management. And I was there for eight years. Right. But I believe it. Yep. Can you can you believe that they started paying people eight dollars fifty cents for what we did? <laughs> I I I assume that I I can't remember because my memory is not as great as yours, but I would assume that I was making significantly less than you were when I started there, which is even more shocking. Um, it is. Yeah, now wild. that was probably the bottom because what happened is I came in and 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 I think when I started, I started out at ten twenty five. Okay. And here's the interesting thing. I was shift leader. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. I you know, I, I came in and um, during I had an out, I had to get the background checked and because I had lived out of state, it took a lot yep. longer. And I remember uh, Jeremy and Lori <laughs> interviewed me and they gave me a call before I technically had the job and, and were kind of like, hey, um, there is this position open. And while we can't officially offer you any job yet, we are wondering if you would be interested in this position. And, and so I did $10 and 25 cents an hour to manage residential <laughs> units with adolescent boys. It, 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 it just, it, it baffles my mind, but that that's what it was. And so that's yeah. how I got to St. Joe's like a, hmm, why not? Right? right. Because I wanted to get into the field. And uh, so the work was there. Now I worked second shift. You worked first shift. Right. So we only interacted because um, 
like there were there was a short a staff shortage. So people who were working first shift would come work second shift because you know yeah. they they didn't have um you know enough staff to work it. So that's how I met you. And to be honest, in the very beginning, I think it was just you know you were cool. It was Chris yeah. and. And, you know, so I knew you, but I don't think we like cross paths a whole, whole lot. Do you remember if we did? Yeah, I I don't think we did in the beginning, right? Um, Yeah, and like you said, it was, uh, whether it was by choice or just by mandatory overtime, which was a thing at that point, I had to pick up some second shifts or I wanted to, to make 50 cents more that I would be making. But um yeah, I think it was mostly, to be honest, I think it was like weekends. Because um, I believe you were doing shift lead on weekends too back then. Yeah. Well, so, I was working whenever, right? right and I, right. I think. Because um, I worked every weekend uh, for a while there in the beginning. So, yeah, I think that's that's kind of it. We just crossed paths for the eight hour shift that I was on a unit and you were shift leading. And that's kind of how that relationship started. So sometime in like 2008, uh, what happened was on Thursday nights, I think this is where it all started, like where we really started to get close. So on yeah. Thursdays, my week was like, was it Sunday to Thursday, something like that. And every Thursday night after our second shift, we would go to Covington. Yeah. across the river and we would go to this one particular bar and we would throw darts and have drinks and just have a good time. And it started to be a really good group of us that would, would start doing that. And I think that's really when we became super close during yeah. that time. Cause then you would come hang out with us and people, cause it was all second shifters pretty much. And everyone yeah. was always like, Eric is so cool. He's the only first shifter <laughs> that will, they would hang out with us. And I think the things that stood out to me the most we're talking about, so we were making what, you know, felt like pennies on the hour. But I also remember we could go to the pub and get a 12 ounce drink for $2.75. Oh, yeah. So uh, <laughs> I definitely don't think that is the case nowadays. But we just, I just remember us having a really good time. Um, and, and it was, it was, it was good times. Now, the interesting thing for me is, so we stopped hanging out, all of us kind of, I got pregnant at the end of 2008, very end. And so going into 2009. And so at that point, when I stopped going out, it just kind of disbanded. And I think there is an aspect about me that I can look back over the course of my life and see how I have been kind of a glue that have kept people together who sure. wouldn't normally be together. And so, um, yeah. And so we kind of stopped hanging out in that regard. Um, and then I think the next evolution is when I became a teacher. Yeah. Because when I became a teacher at the same agency, it put me well, and before a teacher, I was a case manager. Um, and so during that time though, yeah, it, you know, that it doesn't feel particularly memorable, but when I became a teacher, we interacted more because you were, what what were you, I forgot what we were called DTSs, right? Yeah. I think that was the DTS. Yeah. Yeah, Day treatment specialist. And so you would come into my classroom and stuff like that. Oh, I miss Todd. Oh, I know. Todd, like, where is Todd? I I just enjoyed that. So I think this is where like rubber meets road. We are like, our relationship is like sailing off. And so um, around this time, I am going to get a new car. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, at this, so I'm still with my ex. Um, I'm married to my ex-husband. And he wants to get me this car that's a manual and I don't know how to drive a stick. (laughs) He doesn't know how to drive a stick. So it's Mm -hmm. like he's hell bent on getting this car. So I'm like, well, I guess I need to learn how to drive a stick. And you drove a Jeep Wrangler and you were gracious enough to teach me how to drive a stick in your brand new 2011, if I'm not mistaken, Though it was like 2010 Jeep Wrangler. (laughs) 
right. for for the record for the like 1992 Toyota Paseo that I was actually going to be driving. So I know what I remember about this journey, but I would love to hear it from your lens because this was probably maybe possibly one of the scariest times of your lives. It it potentially was, and uh, <laughs> we could we could call David too, and he could attest to that. Um, as being a, a participant in the backseat of the, the the couple outings we had in that car, um, but yeah, I think your your timeline's right, and I think you becoming the teacher, we did begin to spend you know every day together, um, and hours, and hours, you know, and and some really tough and traumatic experiences throughout those days kind of bonded our our relationship then, um, but yeah, definitely the 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 driving and learning to do the stick shift was, was memorable. I, I mean, I, I love thinking back on it now and how hilarious it was and must've been for everyone else or scary. Um, <laughs> as I remember trying to go up a slight incline into Mount Washington at a red light and you stalled out in the middle of the intersection as the lights turning red and the other ones green and, and just <laughs> looking around and sure, like just terrified that somebody's going to sideswipe us or, Oh, it was, it was hilarious. Um, and the car just bouncing as we kind of like struggled our way through the uh, into a, a parking lot. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it was, it was looking back. It was a hysterical scene. David like dived down in the backseat because he was embarrassed and, and not, and me, I think I just, I just was laughing. I think at that point, because that's all I could do. And we figured it out. We, you know? we, we're, we're alive. All three of us are alive. So I I think that response in that moment at that intersection characterized our personalities so well. Okay. <laughs> David being dramatic and literally diving so that he cannot be seen because he's embarrassed. Me being flustered trying to figure it out and you being cool as a cucumber. Yeah. And so I, I think that's what the listeners need to understand. So I know some of my friends from back at St. Joe's listen to my podcast. So like Dottie is going to listen to this and she is going to love it. There are some other people who are going to listen to Lindsay. They're going to love it. But there are people who don't know you. And I think what I have to paint the picture of is Eric and then my husband, Jay, are the most even killed, like people that I know. And so no matter what's happening internally with them, you're not going to be able to tell it on the outside unless they tell you. So even though he was terrified in the moment, what helped me though, is he didn't look terrified. Unlike David, who's in the back, like freaking out. And I'm like, shut up, you know? Oh, keep in mind, like this Jeep Wrangler didn't have, like you had the doors on, but I feel like the top was down. So there was like no hiding. Okay. You're on full display. But (laughs) so these were actually two separate incidents. So one incident was when we kind of sputtered into the parking lot. The other is when I kept stalling out at the traffic light. And that's when David was with us. But the thing about it. I can hear him in my head, just like saying the most ridiculous things and not helping helping is what he was doing (laughs) so when i when i needed to learn to drive we started in a parking lot at lebo's or near lebo's which was this bar that we another different bar that we would kind of (laughs) go to when i was hanging out with the first shift right? right but we started in this little neighborhood and and he taught me how to like shift gears and all of that stuff and we drove around this neighborhood which was pretty flat Yep. you know, like flat land until I got the hang of it, which was over a course of many, many times practicing. And I was, I was actually getting pretty good at shifting gears while the car was moving, but I really struggled to go from like a neutral non-moving position into driving. That's right. where I would stall the most. And so once I, Eric felt confident enough that I, and I felt confident enough that I got it. We would go out into kind of the real world, if you will. And, and it can be pretty hilly. Cincinnati is a pretty hilly place in general, Um, but over in my Washington was pretty hilly. And so we would try to stay off of like the main, main roads. And I just remember we were coming up, I guess, was that Sutton or Salem, Salem? getting ready to turn on sudden. And it's like this moment where I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm not moving. I was at a red light and to go. And it just did. I stalled out, but like Eric's even killedness, like he, 
it helped me feel confident, even though he probably was like literally on the verge of pooping his pants because yeah. it was really scary. Um, and then the <laughs> other time I was at this point, I'm really confident now. And we used to take David to the school up the street where he would meet his mom who worked at the school. And so he was like, Hey, can, can I get a ride up there? And it was like, yeah. And it was like, I'm driving. He's like, Oh God, like, you know, all this stuff. And I'm like, whatever, whatever I got it. But we got to this point and I think everything was all good, but there was like um, a police siren or a fire truck or something that was coming by that caused me to have to stop. Oh, yeah. In a time when I was unexpected to stop. And that drove so much anxiety and his silly behind was in the back, just not being helpful. Okay, (sighs) at all. But those like I really appreciate it. Now, I remember saying I'm never going to learn how to drive this. And you're like, you will. And it will be as effortless as driving an automatic. You will get it. And you know what? Eventually I did. And I miss driving a stick now. I wish I had a manual car. Yep. Me too. I, I enjoyed it. A lot. And so I learned to, and for the record, I was 30 years old, pretty much, or close to 30, almost 30. So I hope this is a lesson. Like it's never too late to learn something. People, I think, really do get stuck. I'm too old to do this. Does it take more intentional effort than when you were younger? Absolutely. (laughs) Are there more risks? Yes, there are. But can you do it? Yes, you can. And so I love that. I love that, you know, you were part of that journey for me to like learn to do this new skill, um, which was very helpful for me. Yeah, it was, uh, it was an awesome experience looking back on it. Um, you know, it's, that was our relationship though. It was like, we, we would try and do things together, you know? So it was, that was part of it. It was like, you needed to learn, you wanted to learn, let's do it. It was, a. you know, I, I think that we are in that point in our relationship where it was like, I would have done anything, you know, you wanted to try and learn and vice versa. I mean, that, that's where we were. We, we spent so much time together. We had that, that bond and, you know, it was all about that. I mean, I remember hanging out many times after, you know, outside of work and, and doing things that, you know, were meaningful together. So absolutely. It was so good. And I think the part like it's not just that he kind of in some ways like literally put his life on the line to teach me. But y'all, this was his brand new truck. Like I, I think that's the thing that was like the most mind blowing is like at no point was he like, Are you crazy? <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, or whose car are we gonna borrow for you to learn? Like he Eric is very selfless in that regard and such a true friend that like he doesn't look at, I think sometimes people look around as like, oh, here, here's all the things that could go wrong or here's how it could, you know, I don't know, go bad for me. But he he very much was like, yeah, let's do it. And like, I appreciated it so much. And the thing about it is I would have that car and that, I don't know if y'all know what a Toyota Paseo is. It is a very, very small, they don't make them anymore. Uh, Toyota car, mine was white. And I mean, it was so small that I feel like I could drive it from the back seat. (laughs) So um, it was a really tiny car. As a matter of fact, I'm sure David jumped over my car once. Like, (laughs) like, so he, he jumped over, not the, like the hood or the trunk, but he jumped, he cleared my car. So it is not at all a big car. And when my son, at this point, he was around, he was two years old. He would sit in the back in his high chair, or not high chair, but his uh, car seat, yeah. and he could reach up and touch the ceiling. Like, it was a tiny, tiny yeah. car. Yeah, and was. that was the car that I left my ex <laughs> in on December 24th, on Christmas Eve, right, of 2011. And, you know, this is where I think our story gets, for me, extremely significant, because I, I had built, built these relationships. And so there was Eric... There was David Fairbanks, there was Lindsay, there was Katie, there were these people, there was Peggy and even uh, Stacy. So like there were this group of people, because I think to also help people understand, I moved to Cincinnati three days after my college graduation. uh, And I have no family here, had no family here. So the only family that I had when I left my previous marriage was my son and my friends that I called my family. And I also 
need people to understand that this wasn't like a, a calculated, gradual thing. There was no plan. I had just gotten to the point literally on December 23rd <laughs> where I said, I cannot do this anymore. I had no plan. I had no idea where I was going, what I was going to do. I just knew I couldn't stay there. And so in that, you know, I pack up this car and I leave. And so throughout the process of, I I remember, so my birthday is three days after Christmas. And so I kind of hung around until my birthday Um, My friend Peggy was out of town with her family. She let me and my son stay there for a few days. I went to Chicago for my birthday with one of my best friends who lived in Chicago, um, outside of Chicago. And I remember I stayed there until New Year's Eve. Fairbanks picked me up at the mega bus stop. (laughs) I mean, there there was no plan. I came back and then my friend Katie extended me um, the invitation for me and my son to stay with her. Um, until I got myself on my feet and figured things out. Now, granted, she lived probably about 36 miles (laughs) east of of all civilization, (laughs) as far as I was concerned. So me and my little Toyota Paseo was driving that, you know, every single day back and forth. And so this is where my relationships really started. Uh, I, I was able to really have uh, help from my tribe. Now, also the interesting thing is that was my 30th birthday. It was supposed to be like, you know, I don't know, people had hyped it up. 30 is something. It it was supposed to be some really, really big, spectacular thing. And it ended up being like my whole world as I'd known it was ripped, gutted and turned upside down because I had been in this relationship since I was 18 years old. So from 18 to 30, my entire adult life, it was all I knew. And at the time I didn't have the words or really even the concept to understand how unhealthy it was, you know, how it was in so many ways and just so many things, but here I was. And so then I remember that, um, my, my work friends, my, my people, my, my family, they threw me, y'all threw me two surprise birthday parties. (laughs) One we had arranged for, um, everyone to meet at Red Lobster And I thought it was just going to be me and her. And then I get there and it's all these wonderful people. And that was really, really nice. Um, You bought me a bunch of art supplies. Uh, (laughs) I still have some of those, by the way, because I just haven't had time. Some canvases, people really bought me a lot of art because thanks to Dottie, it was earlier in the year that I had really rediscovered my love for art creating art that I had left back in kindergarten. (laughs) So (laughs) I had all these art supplies and then Stacy and Peggy kind of collaborated and threw me a second surprise party after the new year. Um, And we came together. That was so nice. Yeah. I I had forgotten about that. Uh, The, the two I knew, I I remembered the red lobster and I had forgotten about the one at the church. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was at um, uh, I don't remember the name of it. Stacy's Church, though. Um, and every time I hear "Party Rockin," is that the name of the song? Uh, yeah, it was the "Party Rockin." Uh, yes. <laughs> but, who are those guys? I can't remember. Lm? No, I don't know. But yeah, there was Lmafao or something. Yeah, or something like that, yeah. on the side. Well, the thing about it is, every time I hear that song, I literally think of you because this is when I don't know if it would just come out, but it was the we. And yeah. it was um, a wee dance party or something. Yeah, like something like that. And so we were playing that and you and I danced off of that song. So anytime <laughs> that song comes on, even to this day, I can see us dancing off of that. And so, yeah, listen. So again, I am enjoying telling the story, but I think the part that needs to be said is we go through some things that can be really, really tough. And sometimes mm-hmm. We look around and maybe we don't have family. Maybe we have family, but they don't really act like the family we need. I I truly have chosen my family my whole life. I grew up as an only child. So I've had cousins and sisters who are not biologically related, but my family came together for me. And so I think that is, that is key. And that is very important 
to me that not only were people opening their homes to me and were they like filling in this gap for me, Lindsay would spend, I would spend a lot of weekends with her, you know, when my son wasn't with me and, and we would just spend time together. And so all of these people kind of rallied together to be what I needed at the time. And I so, so, so appreciated that. So I go through and I'm staying out with my friend and I tell her I only want it to be six months, you know, give me six months. And I realized like before six months that I'm getting to a place where I can really, okay, I need to start to reemerge. What am I going to do? I also realized to be real that people want their space. So after about four months, um, I could, I mean, she was still so gracious and I could tell that, you know what I mean? She kind of wanted her space. It was her and her son, me and my son. And, and so I, around four months, I'm like, I really need to start looking. I think I'm ready. And so this is where I think the irony comes. So, right. You're still working at St. Joe's. You are not at all a real estate agent, but I reached out to you because you grew up in the neighborhood I wanted to live in. And I'm like, can you help me find somewhere to live? And here's why. When I decided it was time to move, I located the apartment I wanted to live in. I, I went and saw it. It looked good. You know, oh, I cannot forget at this time, my son, he started going to a babysitter. He had never gone anywhere. He was at home for the first two years of his life. Uh, Kara was an amazing, she helped me raise my son. I mean, and I had never met her. Honestly, I found her on Craigslist. Don't go finding people on Craigslist. I know that's a new thing. It's a diff- <laughs> different now. But she was amazing. Oh my God. I mean, my son still calls her son, his brother. She's such a great friend. And so I wanted to be close, just all this area. And I found this apartment. I'm like, fine, this is good. I go to apply. And also if you run like a property management company, don't do this. I got a call at uh, 4.57 on a Friday and I couldn't answer. And they leave me a voicemail to tell me that um, they had denied my application. So first of all, I didn't even know that was a thing, right? I didn't know you could tell someone they couldn't live somewhere. (laughs) I I, I really didn't. And then it was at 4.58. So then I called back and they're closed. So I'm like spending this whole weekend, like freaking out, like what is going on? Well, when I end up talking to them on Monday, they tell me they denied me based on my credit. So this may sound crazy to some people. Maybe it doesn't. I had literally no concept of credit. Right. Like I, I, I couldn't have told you what it was. I had no idea. But what I also knew is that my ex had managed the finances <laughs> throughout the relationship. Yeah. So I had no idea like what a credit score was, let alone how whatever ridiculously no number I had because of mismanagement had meant that I, that people were not, they didn't deem me trustworthy. Right. And so they told me I couldn't live there. I lost it. I was so lost. I didn't know what I was going to do. And that's when um, I realized that if I was going to have somewhere to live, I needed to find a person who was renting out their home, like not a property management company, but like a person. That's when I reached out to you, desperate and afraid and ashamed and all of these things. Like, what am I going to do? And you literally drove with me around this entire neighborhood that I wanted to live in. And we were looking for four rent signs, you know, from individuals. Uh, What was your experience of that? Like, yeah, it's funny. It's, I remember it. I do remember it. And I remember you explaining that situation and, and I kind of feel like I was, I was honored or glad that you did call me about that because it, it made me feel good. You know, that you trusted me to, kind of take you on that journey and, and help you by driving you around, even if it was just driving you around and maybe we didn't find anything. It was just like, I did know the area. I was able to tell you places I, I didn't think you should live. Um, it's just, it, it put a lot of trust in me. And I, I think I, I really was grateful that you felt that way about our relationship. Um, and I knew, I knew a little bit, you know, I didn't know I think at the time I didn't know all of the details of what exactly you had been going through, but I obviously, you know, being close to you, 
I, I could understand that it was, there was a lot going on a lot deeper than maybe you were even, you know, telling or showing people. And it was just, it was, it was nice for me to be a part of it. You know, I, I, I enjoy those days where we got to drive around and hang out and, and just kind of, we had no agenda or game plan. It was like, Hey, we're just going to drive and look for signs and just talk and hang out and see what we could find. And I think that that was, that was just like an important time in our relationship. It was, it was spending quality time doing something that, you know, we hadn't done before and it was a new experience for both of us. So I don't know. That was kind of my take on it. It was just, I, I enjoyed that time. I think we, we were spending quality time together. I know I probably around that same time you were, you were coming over to my house and hanging out with me and my mom and dad. And, <laughs> and it was just kind of a looking back on it. It's so funny. Uh, kind of a wild little stretch of time. You know, it it was, and I did hang out with your parents. I remember uh, one weekend you were super, super sweet and you like took me out on this whole like evening. We went to dinner, we went to play pool and that was so helpful because I mean, I was, uh, I, yeah, outside of my work family, I had no one. Um, part of the dynamics of a lot of abusive relationships in whatever way it's abusive. And to clarify, this relationship was never physically abusive, um, but spiritually, emotionally. And, and part of the dynamics of that is isolation, right? Right. You know, isolating someone from other connections. And so while I had really deep relationships with my people back in Detroit, by this point in my life, all of them have been pretty much severed. And so all I had was my work people. And so when I left that relationship, <laughs> interestingly, I end up uh, leaving in some ways that family because, you know, they start tripping on me. We cool now. You know what I mean? There's some of us, we cool now. But in the beginning there, it was it was rough. So I really was by myself. And, and so to have people who were intentionally wanting to spend time with me, not out of pity, not out of like, oh, poor girl, but genuinely like, I just love Shonda. That was so helpful. And yeah, remember, I remember because I was staying so far away. We went out one weekend. I remember staying the night at your parents' house. And and they were so kind. So this is the kind of, you know, support I had. And to your point, no one knew what I had gone through. Yeah. People knew that I left my marriage. And only a few people knew that. Like the people I named were the people who knew that. Right. Um, But no one at this point knew anything really of what it was and why was I trying to hide it? Mm, I don't think so. I mean, what I think was happening was I really believe throughout the entire course of that relationship was, uh, well, I got into that relationship because I literally thought no one would love me. Right. It's sad, but it was honest at 18 years old. No one would love me. I had to take what I could get. And I, I, I believe that with every fiber of myself. And so I got into that relationship and it allowed me to endure all the things I went through. Because if you truly believe that no one is going to love you, then you stay where you are and you begin to dissonance the thing, your brain, your brain doesn't like to have two contradictory beliefs. It, it, it's painful. So it begins to make up stories to make whatever situation you're in better. And so right. I would make up stories. Um, not intentionally, not consciously, but I convinced myself this was, and then, oh yeah, I, and then you, you throw a little bit of spirituality or religion on it and then it becomes (laughs) cemented. This was God, what he wanted for me, God, it was not, but so I had gone through all of that. And so, plus the, the, the guilt and the shame that I felt for leaving was so immense. Like I didn't want to talk about it. And, and the things that had led me to leave, I had was convinced within a lot of it that a lot of it was my fault. So I wasn't talking about it. As a matter of fact, the the friend that I lived with, she was the staffing manager for the agency we worked with. And I remember sometime around March, her saying to me, you do realize that through all of this, you have not missed a single day of work. And I remember thinking like, why would I? Like this concept of take time, rest, just all of that. It, It, none of that was not a thing 
for me. And so I, I, I do, I hope that just in hearing like how uh, through this story, like I know there are people who are going to resonate with it because it's so real. I didn't know all the things that I'm talking about now as therapist LaShonda, who's right. helping people move from coping to healing. I was coping at best. And so I don't speak down on coping. I just know that it's not the end destination. So there we are. Like you're helping me look for this place. We're spending this time together. And I did. I found um, a person who was willing to rent from me the place at the time. It was amazing. And (laughs) my family grew by three whole people in this place. It was huge for just me and my son. And you know, I was still scared, but he gave me a chance because he was like, I'm just going to need to run your credit. And I was like, let me be fully honest. I'll tell you what you're going to find if you run it. But here's right. the thing. That number is not who I am. And it, it was at that point where I, I said, I refuse to be defined by a number, whether it's my credit score, my bank account or my weight. <laughs> Those yep. numbers are not who I am. And I just remember telling him, I am a responsible person who does da 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 da. And if you give me this chance, I will prove that. And he did. I lived there for six and a half years. Yeah. And and I remember him writing me a letter when he sent me the check for my full deposit, telling me I was one of the best tenants he ever had, because I I did not have to let my past define who I was, and so that was it. So I I think that that was an important story to tell, because here we are right in 2020 and you were yet again, driving me around, (laughs) but this time it wasn't driving me around to find anyone who would please take me. You were driving me around my husband and I to find a place where we were going to build our home. And I just feel like that is so full circle, but also so mind blowing that I was able to literally, I mean, talk about like my life was gutted inside out and I would have never, ever, ever in the beginning of 2012 been able to forecast where I am today, building our home, making all of these choices when I had gone through what I had gone through. And so not only like, oh, my friend's a realtor, let me support him kind of thing. It is like I needed someone who was going to understand where I've been, that I'm sure you show tons of people houses and it might be their first house. It might be their third house. But, you know, another thing is my my I could not my family didn't own my mom. My parents didn't own a home. Yeah. So I didn't grow up understanding home ownership. Like when I'm talking about breaking trauma cycles, I'm talking about so many of them. And there was no other person on the planet that I wanted to help me on this journey um, more than you. Yeah. And that's awesome. You know, and, 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 and reflecting on all this today and, and hearing these stories, it's like, we, we did grow up kind of through this stuff together and, you know, you don't really think when, when you're going through it, like the impact it's having, like, that's the, the big thing I think for me and for like people listening, it's like, if you have friends and you know that they are struggling or there are situations that maybe you don't even think are that important or that traumatizing or that, you know, like you don't know what the scale of it is. It's like the importance of just being present in people's lives that you love and care for. is just like reflecting now. It's, it, it, it's amazing what that can do for people that you don't realize. It's just, you know, the, the phone call or just, Hey, you want to hang out? Like, making yourself available to kind of support that person when you know there's there's something going on you know and and honestly you know I didn't know the impact or anything of what was going on or but those things just build relationships and now here we are you know 13 years later whatever it was um and now we're we're enjoying a different side of it and it's because our relationship you know went through what it did and we were there for important important parts of each other's lives. So it's just, it's awesome to kind of be on this end of it, to see you guys, you and Jay, just being able to enjoy the success of what you've been through and the grind of just working towards this. So, and that, that's more important to me, I think, than anything 
it's I love it. Obviously, I love that you reach out to me to help you find this. But having that background and that relationship over the past you know years makes it so much better. I do meet people all the time and I show people houses daily, but I don't have those relationships with those people. So it makes it so much sweeter, you know, to, to enjoy seeing the full circle with friends. So. Yeah, no, dead on. And also I, so I want to say what, what year did you meet Megan? Um, We got married uh, 2014. So that was 2011. We, we met. The end of 2011? Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I was thinking. So, right. Cause I remember when you took me out <clears throat> and we went, oh, sorry. <laughs> I didn't mean to do that. Cause it feels like just a conversation. I kind of yeah. forget the mic is here. I'm going to start okay. that part over. <laughs> it's hilarious. That was, that was so ridiculous. Okay. I'm sorry. So I do remember, um, when we went out for that weekend and we were, you were talking about Megan, you all had kind of just met at the end of the year. So we were kind of like, you had been, you know, talking or together for a couple of months and yeah, like I remember seeing how special she was to you even then and how awesome that was. And so I really appreciated that, you know, again, it wasn't about pity. You were, we were spending time together and I was sharing in the good things that were coming into your life, even as I was trying to figure out the crazy things that were happening in mine. And, and so you all, and, and just kind of the whole thing. Now here is a funny thing. I, I don't know if you remember this, but, and I know it wasn't intentional, but so you proposed, yep. right? You didn't tell me. You forgot to tell me. And I remember, so this is when y'all were all group leaders. So you, Kim, Eric, Emily, and some, and, and, and somehow somebody said something about it. And I was like, uh-huh. what? And it was the face that they all made. Like, uh-oh. <laughs> and I just remember being like, Eric and like I totally know now that of course you didn't intentionally not yeah. tell me but I just remember being like how could you not tell me and you were like I'm so sorry I like I just because you know yeah. like you had a lot going on um and so I remember that but you got engaged you got married like all of these things um started to happen and now you were getting ready to leave yeah the agency you left before I did you went into real estate and and I was still there so we had this period of time where we we really weren't talking a whole lot we didn't see each other a lot now by that time I um Jay and I were together because he and I were at your wedding together um and that was before we yeah it was before we got engaged I think we would get engaged later that year you and you and Megan were at my wedding and so we've we've stayed in contact with each other uh, and kind of known loosely how each other were doing. But what I love about really um, good foundationed relationships is when you get to the point where you connect again, it's like you're picking up right where you left off. You don't have to go through the whole rebuilding stage because the foundation was never right. lost. No, exactly. You just, yeah, I think that, yeah, you just realized life yeah, had happened. I, Go ahead. You know, life has been crazy the last five years, six years um, for both all of us. You know, it's, there's been lots of kids. There's been job changes. There's been, you know, career altering changes and, and just a lot of ups and downs and the hustle and bustle of life. You know, it's never an excuse to, not reach out to friends, you know, and if I found that, um, that's one thing I do struggle with and I, I have to make conscious efforts to be present in people's lives because I just get, you know, in the zone of here's my life. You know, it's, I got four kids under five and I'm working every day of the week and it's, you know, trying to make, <laughs> make things happen so I can provide for my family. And you get home after a long day and it's like the kids are there and you're still on until nine o'clock and then it's bedtime and you get up and do it again. Uh, so it is really difficult at times to kind of step back and say, okay, well, 
what should I be doing? Who do I need to reach out to? Who haven't I talked to in a long time? Um, but the, the great thing about relationships like you and I have, and some of the other people that we've worked with at St. Joe's, that I know I could at any point in time call a handful of those people and say, hey, what are you doing? Or, hey, how are you? Here's what I'm going through. And everyone would show up, you know, and that's, that's I think, a great part of kind of growing up together in what I would call, you know, that that job, that company was, it was tough. You know, it was, it was not ideal. We didn't get paid a lot. It was traumatizing for everyone, the kids, for us. And, but I think it, it really did help bond a lot of relationships and, and I am grateful for that. Me too. I I really am. And you said that I was like, man, we got seven kids between us and a whole lot of, yeah, that's a lot. And I, I agree with you that those relationships are solid. Um, Even sometimes when there are rifts that happen, rifts that you don't even necessarily know are rifts, but then you're able to kind of come back and, and talk and be like, okay, this has a solid foundation. And so I am, I am just extremely grateful, like you said, to the experiences we had that bonded our relationship. I do want to, I haven't told you this story. I'm going to tell you this story now. Um, And it is one that happened last weekend that I I wanted to share with my listeners too, as we get ready to close out. Um, So nervous. So, well, no, 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 no. It's a new story. It's not, you know, I feel like we could have spent another hour just talking about all the debauchery we've been through. Okay. Like super fun. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like crazy stories. And if, if I'm brave, maybe me, you and Fairbanks will get on a call in a podcast one day and really air out all the laundry, but no, it's not that kind of story. It's actually, um, so on the podcast, I am constantly talking about, uh, healing. I'm talking about, um, moving from coping to healing and developmental relational sure. trauma And so I had this experience that interrelates to our experience with the house building process, and I want to share it. So, um, you know, Eric has set up a number of places and model homes and showings and things for us to go to. And there was a particular builder that I wanted to see. And the first time we went out, we weren't able to see it because the person who was supposed to be there wasn't there. And I think that worked out well. because we ended up being able to see the same builder in the actual neighborhood where we're, right. where we're building. And uh, we were late coming to this appointment because we had spent a really long time at the first appointment. Um, and so anyway, point being, we get to the model home and the guy is super kind um, and he takes down some information and the model that we want to build, he says, hey, we have one that just sold do you want to go look at it? And we're like, yes, because I will tell y'all this model homes are stupid. Let me tell you why they're stupid (laughs) because every, literally every single thing in that model home is upgraded. Okay. So you're walking through this beautiful, oh my God house and every feature you fall in love with, you're going to have to pay more money for. So what I was thankful for is that the house we were going to look at was like a regular house. (laughs) (laughs) Like, you know, this is what mine would probably look like. So we're walking through the home and, you know, it has some upgrades, but likely some uh, equivalent upgrades that we would make. And we go, we're going upstairs to look at the second floor and there's like several steps and then there's a landing and there's this like benched window seat that I fall in love with. And then we look at it, we keep going, uh, looking at the rest of the house, but I fall in love with this window seat. So after... You know, we finished looking at the house, the sales guy, we end up talking to him and we go back in, we've decided we're going with this builder, we're going with this model, we're going with this development, this community. So we're all good. And I find out that the window seat is extra. <laughs> it is not part of the house. And it's just like, oh, now at this point, I got to tell you, we've already gone line by line and kind of dwindled the price down to where we wanted and got rid of some things. And so I really couldn't justify putting this window seat back on the list. We drove around the neighborhood, just Jay and I, and, you know, and and I remember Eric, he's just like, ah, Jay can build you one. Uh, if y'all know my husband, y'all know that is not true. He like, um, build nothing, but we're like, fine, we'll just get some benches and put them there. It's fine. But then I realized that if you don't get 
this addition, like they don't bump it out, if that makes sense. So it's fine. I'm not going to get it. I can deal without it. But it kept bugging me, y'all. Like, I can't explain. I had let go of a lot of things in the house that I was fine with. I could not stop thinking about this window seat. So I, every, and then every couple of days, Jay would ask me, do you want the window seat? And I was like, mm, no, like I'm shaking my head. Yes. While saying no, <laughs> I'm saying yes. While shaking my head. No, like I'm, I want it, but I, I don't feel like I can justify it. So yeah. anyway, I had to go get a COVID test, not because I had been exposed, but I was going to be doing this thing with other people. And we were all, we all said we would get tested. And I don't know if y'all had a COVID test, but they stick this thing way up into your nasal <laughs> cavity and it feels like they're poking your brain. So it was something about that experience that made me go like, you know what? I'm getting my window seat. I don't know. Maybe. So I remember I'm driving to my office from getting tested and I call my husband and I say, hey, I really want the window seat. And he's like, I know you want the window seat. That's why I keep asking. So I said, can you call the guy, see if he can add it? Okay. So yay, I'm getting my window seat. So I get to my office and I have supervision with my mentor. Um, and we're talking about a lot of things and we get to talking about the window, well, the house building process. And I tell him about the window seat. Um, and I said, I don't know why I can't let it go. Like, I just can't let it go, but I'm glad we're going to get the window seat. And I said, and really I want it so that I can sit on this window seat and watch my children play outside. And he said, yeah, yeah. Because no one was watching you, were they? Hmm. And so what people don't understand about, like, shook my core. So I don't know if he knew this specific incident or not. I know he knows my story enough to know that it's often characterized by where the hell right. were the adults. That's something I say about my my story all the time. But I don't know if he knew it. But when I was about four or five years old... I was sexually abused behind my home by a neighborhood boy against the back of my house and no one was watching. Yeah. Right. And so what happened is I kept trying to make that window seat a luxury. Mm. I kept trying to make it a, Oh, it would be nice. But that little girl inside of me, she knew it was a need. She kept pushing that window seat. I could not let it go. Because not only is this is home ownership and building this house breaking cycles of poverty, I am breaking other trauma cycles, yeah. right? It, it is so much deeper than just, you know, for show or I have this house or, you know, we have these things. There are so many things that we can do and they may seem small and irrelevant, but they're not. I will sit in that window seat and I will watch my children. And I wasn't even thinking about it from a make sure they're okay. Say, but I just want to watch my kids right. play. I want to watch their joy. And it was like in that moment that I realized how deep this thing is, how this window seat represented more than a luxury, that it was a way for me to continue to interrupt those trauma cycles that have played out through numerous generations of sexual abuse to children in my family. And so it was just that moment that I was like, wow, how many of us are dismissing things as luxury or nice to haves or maybe one days when really the inner children, our littles inside of us are telling us we yeah. need this. So That's, I wanted to share that with you because you were part yeah. of this journey and you knew how I felt. About I did. And that, 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 that's crazy. Um, it, it is, it's, that's awesome. I think that's amazing that you had that kind of realization of what kind of need you were, you were feeling by that. And it makes sense now. And I, I think we all did know you love that window seat. So I'm glad, I'm <laughs> really glad that you're now getting it. And yes. And if it matters, I, I thought it was like four grand, right? I'm like, ain't nobody, this is stupid. But then when we added it, it was, it was, it was like much less than I thought. So it was also one of those things that I don't know if I had elevated the price to convince myself not to do it, whatever it is, 
it's going to be a part of our home. And I am so glad that it is um, because my attachment to it was almost <laughs> ridiculous. And I didn't understand why I was like, just let it go. But I couldn't. So I'm sharing that story with you because you're part of the journey. I'm sharing that story with my listeners because our littles are there. Yeah. And sometimes they are just, they are, they are trying to communicate their needs to us. They're trying to point us in a direction. And when we can slow down long enough to just listen to what they are trying to communicate to us, I, I, I do believe it's very powerful. And when we have people in our lives, like my mentor, who can call those things out, when he said that, I mean, one, it shook me and I was like, oh my God, but it was also nice to have somebody in my life who does for me what I do for sure. other people. And I think that is key. Like I am constantly speaking into people's lives. I'm constantly doing that thing and, and being that supportive person that they need. And I, 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 it is my pleasure to do it. And it feels amazing that I have people like you and my, my mentor, Rick and Fairbank people in my life who can give back to me the way I give to others. And so this is what that friend cast yeah. is about. This is like relationships matter y'all. And you know, I think it's important to hear an authentic take on two people's relationships through what they've been through the full circle moments, but to also hopefully take little bits and pieces of maybe realizing there's somebody out there maybe you should reach out to. Yeah. Or yeah, any of that. So Eric, is there anything that you're thinking you have left to say to our listeners as we get ready to finish up? No, I, I, you know, I think we've, We've kind of covered it. It's, I really cherish, and I think it's important to stay in touch with people, to check in on friends, old friends, maybe that you haven't talked to in a long time. Um, and it's something, like I said, that's, that's a big thing for me and it's difficult for me and I'm not great at it. And it's something that I'm really, and an example of this is just by hanging out with you and meeting, you know, and, and spending time looking at houses I had been intentionally watching Fairbanks and his gym and all of this stuff. And, you know, I hadn't talked to him since I left almost, you know, it's been a long, long time, but I've been watching his journey and seeing him do something that he's passionate about. And that's the best thing is watching all of us kind of go into our own, you know, careers on and things that I think we're all passionate about. And in a way it's all related back to St. Joe's. I think every one of us, has kind of entered a role of giving and still doing that therapeutic part of it. I know I use it daily when meeting with people. And I think, you know, with him, with the wellness center and with you being a therapist and just all of these roles that the core of what we went through there is being used. I think it's, it's great. And I finally reached out to him. I was like, actually, I didn't reach out. I saw him make a post and I realized I was in the area and I was like, I haven't stopped by his gym. I haven't seen him. And I just popped in and just that experience. And just, it, it made me feel me doing it. Like it was just, I felt so good about it and his expression and surprise. And it's just like, you know, just rekindling and touching base with people that you don't expect to show up, but they show up. I think it does so much for the the body and the soul and just your, your overall mental health. So it's something that I'm really going to strive to do more of. That is so awesome. And he did tell me about that. And he's like, I turn around and you can't miss that yep. bow-legged walk coming towards you. <laughs> so your walk is very distinct. And he saw that walk. No, and and I think that's a good point. When we when you get when you start this, it just it just kind of sparks this thing that makes you want right. to do it more. And so I am so glad that you were able to to do that. And in case you haven't, Fairbanks, um, he was a guest on our pod, my podcast twice before, but we also did a friend cast that was really good. If you've missed it, you should tune into it uh, to get some insights into just relationships in my life. So Eric, I want to thank you so much for being willing to do this um, with me, a very integral, important part of my life then Absolutely. and now. Um, and I also just wanted listeners to, to continue to get to know me better. I think that's part of my credibility, Absolutely. right? Is that I'm a person and I have committed myself to authenticity and transparency. And yeah, this is one way that I do it. 
And Sir Schultz, if someone is out there saying, hey, I want to buy a house or I want to sell my house or I want to build a house, I definitely want people to be able to find you. So how can people reach out to you or find you if they find themselves anywhere in need? Of sure. So first of all, I'm with Coal Banker um, out of High Park and I work on a, a real estate team um, with a good friend of mine. He's a great guy. And we are the, the Gibbler team at Coal Banker. And you can reach me any time of day. I'm always working, like I said earlier, but it's eric at thegibblerteam.com. And that's G-I-B-L-E-R team.com, thegibblerteam.com. And we also got a website and the website is just that as well, www.thegibblerteam.com. Awesome. Well, we will make sure that we have that information in the show notes uh, for people who want to get in touch with you. Again, I want to thank you for being my guest. I want to give a special shout out to Trey Angel, who provides the music for the Labors of Love podcast. I want to thank the best producer in the land, Jay Sugg from Instant Classic Media. And I want to thank you, my listeners, for tuning in. Uh, If you have suggestions for content or guests, please reach out to me at www.thelaborsoflove.com. Don't forget we're on all the major social media outlets. I am now bringing my Therapy Thursdays to the podcast platform. So in addition to this podcast, tune in on Thursdays where I'll give a short clip of a Therapy Thursday. And don't forget to rate, subscribe, and give us a five-star rating everywhere you get the podcast. Until we connect again, you all be well.